Welcome to the podcast edition of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. I'm your host, Pat Braden, broadcasting to you over the virtual airwaves from the Love Shack studio here in the heart of Old Town Yellowknife Northwest Territories. Now, I'm a bass player, Chapman stick player, singer-songwriter, and I've been playing music throughout the North since about 1977. As a young musician, I was caught up in the explosion of popular music in the world through the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. As I got older, I thought there must have been the same thing happening up here, just in a different place and on a different scale. So in 2003, I started to interview the older players who taught me most of what I know today, and many more musicians that I'd only ever heard of. My intention was to have an accessible and free place where anyone could go to learn about these players and the musical times and the lives that they lived. Over the years, I've collected 30-plus interviews and created an archival website at www.musiciansofthemidnightsun.com. Now, some of these interviews are quite long, so I wanted to bring the core of their stories to a more accessible format. So I created this series of podcasts to continue the celebration of the musical lives of these northern musicians who performed in northern Canada from the 1950s through to the mid-1970s. Thanks for tuning in. Please send any questions and comments to me through this website. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode of Musicians of the Midnight Sun. Well, I thought I would start off the first episode of this podcast series of Musicians of the Midnight Sun with a little bit of background, a little bit of context about myself and how this whole project came to be. I remember my brothers bringing home the LP records of the day in the Rolling Stone magazines in the late 1960s and early 1970s. And with headphones on, I would listen to those albums and get lost in the liner notes and the photos. I would read through those Rolling Stone magazines from cover to cover sucking up all of the stories and the photographs of the musicians from that time. Later on in 1977, I got a bass guitar in my hands, and actually I did pretty good at it right out of the gate. I learned how to read music through the high school music program, where I was playing classical, concert band, and big band music. It wasn't too long before I started playing a lot of jazz, blues, rock, and country music in the bars and lounges in town. The jam sessions at the local saloons on Saturday afternoons, talent shows, and the community events exposed me to other musicians and music. So within the first three years of picking up a bass guitar, I played just an incredible amount and a variety of styles of music before I headed off to music college in Edmonton. Now most of these musicians that I played with were at least twice as old as I was, and they would regale me with stories about when they were playing back in the 60s and how they started. I had a real obsession with pop culture back then, hungry for the music and stories from beyond the city limits in the 60th parallel. Later on in life, I started to recall all of their stories and decided to document them before it was too late. So going back to around 2003, I sat down with a bunch of the older players here in town to gather their stories. Later on, I traveled to more remote communities. There was a lot of music happening in the smaller communities in the north, It seemed each one had its own robust music scene. At that time, there was really nothing else for entertainment other than what you could generate for yourself. 
It was really interesting to hear their musical stories because inevitably they would start talking about their family and their community. It didn't take long before the project turned into this big picture cultural snapshot of their place and time. Indigenous and mixed blood players talked not only of their musical experiences, but also of the rapid change from a traditional to a modern lifestyle they and their people experienced. Many of them came north for various jobs, and their recollections of the move north and first impressions are equally insightful and entertaining. I have a couple of examples from interviewees. This first one is from the late Archie Ludit, talking about living and playing in Old Town Yellowknife, and the other from the late Alex Charnicky, recalling the challenging circumstances of his move north in the early 1970s. Well, I, I lived right on the island. The first house we stayed in was uh, where the game warden is. There used to be a log shack there. There was a few houses that were stationary. Everyone that was built was built on skids. If you didn't like your neighbor, you moved across. <laughs> hey, you got the, you got the iron of rodent to pull you across. It was a little D two cap. <laughs> That's a hell of a good idea. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, we we played for quite a few years together in parties and that. You know, we played down at the old Moulin Rouge. Betty, uh, Betty McMullen's place. You remember that? You called no, no, no. You called it the Moulin Rouge. Uh huh. Yellowknife had its own Moulin Rouge. Yeah, you know where uh, Hutchins Store or uh, uh, Lafleur used to have their shop there. Okay, that's that's where it was. So we used to go down there and play there uh, Friday nights. So that was like a club or a bar or just a. Yeah, well, uh, she worked all night. It was elite. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> No, for sure. Okay, so we'd go all night. So it was like a speakeasy or something like yeah. that, right? Okay. Okay. Anybody came in, so we played there for I don't know how many months. Eh? And one night there, I said, "Damn, damn I had this feeling something was not quite right." Eh? So I told, uh, "Well, we're tipping a few," and there was a lot of people in there. Eh? So I said to uh, this would be about one thirty in the morning. I said to uh, Bob, I said, let's get out of here. He said, no, 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 no. Everything's okay. I said, no. I said, come on. I said, do you want to stay? I said, I'm going. So finally, I convinced them. We got out of there, and about 45 minutes later, there was a raid. <laughs> they caught a lot of good findings, boy, there, you know. Okay, no, I, I can tell you that. I, I, it's very clear. Um, and it's only because of the the extremely rough trip up. I mean, with this van blowing up, we were broke. I couldn't, I needed a new engine. And a farmer towed us back into Valley View, spent the night in a, in a garage where I, I, I still hear the jet, the, the, the air guns running, changing truck tires. And, and we're sleeping in a garage in the back of our, in back of our, our Simpson Sears truck. Wondering what that, and school was going to start in three days. And I didn't know how we're going to get there. And the next morning, we walked into the cafe, and it just filled with truckers. And I said, I'm going to ask one of these guys where they're going. And Carolyn, my wife, was with me. And I spotted one guy that kind of looked like maybe he's the one. So I introduced myself. I, said, I gave him our sob story. He says, I'm going to Hay River. Hop in. So what an adventure. His name was Earl Gow. I'll never forget him. And... 
he was the nicest man in the world. And we sat in this big 18-wheeler, and the road was dirt all the way. There, and it, was, it had been raining and mud. And he was our introduction to the North. And he gave us a running commentary all the way about the northern lights and the birds and the animals and the, uh, the rivers. And he was in love with the North. And he couldn't take us to Yellowknife because he had a fish load to come back. Then we took a bus from Enterprise to, to, to Yellowknife. And as we're driving, a bullet f- flew through the windshield of the, of the bus. <laughs> the driver just about freaked. There was a stray bullet or something. Or, and the glass shattered. Bang! <laughs> oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. The Wild West. It was. What an adventure coming up here. And all we had was a, you know, a little handbag or knapsack. But they had an apartment for us here. Anyway, so here, here it answered to your question. Yellowknife was, to me, if you can use an image, after all of this, and you know, like it's a thousand, it was a thousand miles through nothing on dirt roads and bullets and dust and mud. It was like a Shangri-La underneath some kind of a plastic geodesic dome mm. to me. It was like a unbelievable that something like this could exist, which was more or less in the middle of nowhere at the time. Like, I was, I was blown away. I, but that's only because of the trip. Like, you know, like at the end of the road... What is there? And suddenly I looked around, my goodness. And, you know, the, the, the apartment had running water and toilets and, well. And what a change from Montreal and Toronto. I fell in love with it. Although we were only going to come for two years. Well, here it is. Look. <laughs> it's 2006. <laughs> but anyway, so my impressions of Yellowknife were, were really... Um, it was quite awesome. Now, some of these musicians' stories are epic. You could actually make a Hollywood movie out of some of them. They're just amazing stories. And some of them go on for quite a while. I wanted to make them more accessible to listeners, so I decided to edit these lengthy interviews into a podcast format. This also allows me to bring in some of my own personal experiences and provide some context for their stories. And with that, I would like to invite you to do a little bit of time travel back to the 1950s, 60s, and 70s with these stories from the musicians of the Midnight Sun. ¶¶ 